welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? When am I going to get a new set of three questions to introduce this podcast? Very excited for our guest today. Before I introduce our guest, I want to make sure you know who the talking weird voices are on this podcast. I am, of course, Richard Litauer. Hello, everyone. It's really great to be on here again. And we also have Leslie Hawthorne joining us today. Leslie, how are you doing? Doing very well. Thank you. Pleased to be joining in from Bonn, Germany and enjoying the advent of spring weather here. Spring weather is also coming here in Vermont. For those of you who haven't listened in a while, Leslie is a new host from Red Hat. Leslie, it's great to have you here. Our guest today we have had on before, but that doesn't mean this won't be an awesome conversation. So we have Serkan Holat. Serkan, it is great to have you. How are you doing today? Thanks so much, Richard. Thanks for having me. And I'm joining from Istanbul, by the way, but I'll be in Amsterdam tomorrow. Splitting his time between those two places. What a lucky person. He gets both waffles and baklava. I mean, how could you complain? Tarkan is a freelance software developer with over 20 years of experience. Realizing the duplication of software solutions across the industry made him curious about open source software. And he's been researching how to finance the open source ecosystem and digital public goods, DPGs, for almost 10 years. He advocates establishing a global digital public goods market through agile public funds and collecting dedicated taxes. Whenever I think about sustaining open source and taxes, my mind always goes to Sarkan. How is that going? The tax cause? I think it's going fine. I mean, yeah, as you said, I'm studying this topic for a while to finance open source software. And mm-hmm. one of my main conclusions is that we should finance open source with public money. To get into a little bit details is that I think what we should do as a start is to recognize open source software as a new type of digital public good, similar to public roads and bridges. And this is like a symbolic step to be able to have the argument to say, okay, if we recognize it as a public good, like all other public goods, then we should finance it with public money. And two, we should set up dedicated public funds to finance the open source ecosystem, which I call them agile public funds. And I'm using the word agile to emphasize the structure of these public funds because these public funds should distribute money to open source ecosystem based on certain metrics, let's say, unlike the usual grants mechanism. And three, I think at some point, it doesn't have to be from the start, but I think at some point we have to answer the question of where the money should be coming from for these public funds. And my proposal on that area is to introduce an open source tax on proprietary software sales. So every time you purchase a proprietary product, you should pay 1% open source tax on top of it. And that money should be going to the public funds. So let's say, for example, you are purchasing Microsoft Windows and the price of the product is 100 euros. In the Netherlands, we pay 21% value added tax on top of it. So normally you should be paying 121 euros. But with the open source tax, you are now going to pay 122 euros. So 100 money will go to Microsoft, 21 euro will be going to the usual government budget as a value-added tax, and 1 euro will be going to our public funds to be distributed to the source ecosystem. So basically, this is the concept that I'm advocating for a while. But yeah, that's the main concept. Thank you. I am very slow. I have a lot of conversations, but I'm actually not smart. I don't understand what's going on. And most (laughs) of the times I ignore people when they talk. This is the first time where I've heard you say on proprietary software, which makes so much more sense for me because previously when you talk about taxes for open source software, I thought it was like a general tax that's going to hit all the people in the world who are like just living their lives and then buying a Coke and then half of that goes to like open source. 
makes so much more sense to just put it directly on software that's being sold proprietarily. So if you buy any software that has open source in it, that should be taxed. That, that seems really obvious to me. And I thank you for saying that. That is really cool. You're welcome. I, yeah, I would no, actually, I, I, I must say, then I made a mistake maybe early. I mean, that, that was all, always the idea. Let's say. I think it's actually really easy to conflate, which I did actually when learning more about you before this podcast with the notion of a 1% tax on income to provide universal basic income. So that's where my brain went. And then I read more yeah. carefully and thought, oh, wait, wouldn't it be cool if we just did a 1% sale on all software tax? Like people do procurement of open source all the time. And since I can see people arguing that it is anti-competitive, to only place this tax upon sale of proprietary software, why not for all software sales? They are certainly enabled by the open source ecosystem. And I see no reason to discriminate and also earn less money for open source. So I'm sure my employer Red Hat is delighted by my opinion on this topic. Maybe we edit out the part about my employer's proposed opinion. Well, perfect. I mean, that's exactly the idea. Yeah, that's what I'm advocating for a while. And yeah, that's, I mean... I don't have the exact figures, but mm-hmm. ER spending, I think, let's say roughly $100 billion on software. And what we get out of it is still proprietary software. And I mm-hmm. think considering that we have open source software as a counterpart, that that's a bad deal for our economy, for the market, for consumers. So how can we balance this? Let's say that's for me always the question. And this is my answer, let's say, to that. So you mentioned roads and bridges. That's yeah, pretty much a reference to Nadia Eggball's seminal book on the subject. Yes. Not working in public, the one she made beforehand. That reminds me that like things have changed since that came out. So, I mean, she was at the first sustain a while ago, back in 2002, 1987, 1367, whenever it was. It was pre-COVID, so who knows? And since then, we've seen a proliferation of DPGs in general being even a term. You have the UN metric for digital public goods. You have the Digital Public Good Alliance. How have you watched that space grow? And have you had any buy-in from any of the practitioners in the DPG space towards funding public goods like open source? I don't know exactly what their plan to finance digital public goods, but it's indeed a fantastic initiative from United Nations to set up Digital Public Goods Alliance. So they are in the process of recognizing each software, as far as I know. Let's say you, you can make a you can apply for their program, they review it. They have specific criteria that I think one of the interesting criteria is that whether this software is, let's say, is it going to improve the sustainable development goals, whether it's going to make a contribution to that. So I must say that sounds like a bit vague term, but they have their own process. You can apply for it. And then if it's been approved. I think there is a financial aspect as well that they can help you out with all types of different aspects. It's a perfect initiative as of today. But one of the questions that we should always ask that whether these, whatever we propose, is it going to scale? So can we scale in the software industry? Can we ask any company to contribute to open source ecosystem and generate revenue from it? So I think as a start, Sovereign Tech Fund is also from Germany, is another excellent initiative recently. I think they started last year. I think for this year, their budget is like 10 million euros and they are going to, so you can again apply as a soft open source. If you are building open source applications, you can apply for their program. And if you have been approved, you will get a funding from them. But of course, at some point, as I think we can already predict that they will bump into certain limitations. Either you're going to hire too many people to review the process, et cetera, and then check whether they are using the resources. So what I'm proposing, Agile Public Funds, is it's way more dynamic. 
actually, it's very similar to the systems that the content creators get paid for their work. For example, how YouTube distributes money to the content creators or Spotify distributes money to the artists. And those kind of systems are scalable. So we should consider going in that kind of direction in the long term. And let's say it like this, is that the long-term goal should be to establish global digital public goods market. And contributing to this digital public goods market should be a regular business activity at some point. What are the obligations on the developers? There should not be any obligations. So what we should do is that we should ask... So I'm expecting that this will start from nation-level public funds. And hopefully the long-term goal should be to international, global-level public funding. But we should try to imitate how, let's say, how software market works. You have a product, you sell it, and based on your sales, you generate revenue. And open source market, it should be similar. If there are companies out there that are consuming your software, we have to collect usage statistics from companies. The government should say, okay, we are going to set up a public fund and we are going to distribute this fund based on usage metrics. So it's crucial for us to send your usage statistics. Maybe there is a work that needs to be done over there. Maybe we can also mention ecosystems approach, by the way, they are also working on that area. But once we collect the usage statistics and come up with a neutral open source algorithm to understand the value of each open source project's, let's say, contribution to the ecosystem, you should pay based on those results. And that should be as straightforward as it is. You cannot add additional burden on the companies. You cannot say, you're selling your software and you're generating revenue for your products. And we want you to make your products open source. If this is going to be the message, you cannot also say, okay, but if you apply for this funding, you should also have these obligations. You cannot increase the burden on the companies. Building a product is already a difficult process. There's already competition in the market. So we should keep it as similar to the regular markets as possible. So I'm just curious as we're sort of thinking through the different ways that this can manifest how we're actually seeing this already taking place here in Germany, where I live with the Sovereign Tech Fund. And I'm assuming that's something you're interested in. Is that, can you tell us more about your thoughts on that group, what they're doing, how that fits into your overall vision? Yeah, so as I said, right now, I think Sovereign Tech Fund is the excellent initiative out there. That's exactly what we envisioned, let's say, when we were having these discussions. So national level public funds, it's a pilot. And so they just finished their pilot round, I think. And this year they have a budget. And I don't know for how many projects they plan to cover. I mean, if there is anything that we can do to help them out to be successful as a community, I think we should be doing it. We should, if need be, we can do advocacy on behalf of them. If there are parts that are struggling, we should try to learn it and then help them out. And for me, it would be fantastic to see that they will become some sort of blueprint for other nations to follow. So we should be able to say as the open source community, look at Germany, they did this. And why don't you do it as well? So in the Netherlands, for instance, it would be fantastic to look for the avenues to establish a public fund for Dutch ecosystem. Let's say one of the details that I expect, if we are going to start increasing the funding size, so use taxpayers' money, at some point, the taxpayers would say, hey, why are you financing companies outside of the country, let's say? So one of the feedback that I kept getting from when I talk with other people is that they said taxpayers will not like if you start financing companies outside of your country. So one mm-hmm. thing that we can expect is that probably these public funds will only finance their local ecosystems. But once we start establishing in multiple countries, we should be able to say, okay, now it's time for you to combine your markets and combine your tax revenues and make the market bigger, let's say. 
But again, one of the details is that right now it's a perfect initiative as of today. And let's try to make sure that they will become successful. Mm-hmm. But keep in mind, scalability will become an issue. We can already, I think, predict that. So one of the things that I think could be pretty interesting as a lens to do it through is I understand this desire to keep tax revenue within country and benefiting a specific national entity's economy. But I think the perfect vehicle for this is actually public sector collaboration around open source because there is an immediate, obvious, identifiable benefit to the taxpayer for using public funds to make open source software that benefits citizens. And then there's enough initiatives in play between different nation states and between different municipalities within those nation states to share that code and to collaborate together. It just seems like a really excellent way to create an even more virtuous circle of consumption and creation in a sustainable way. I don't know if that ever crosses your mind. Yeah. Free Software Foundation Europe has this fantastic campaign, Public Money, Public Code. And that's exactly advocating for that. And that's, I think that's an excellent message, right? That's, I think nobody can argue about that. And Let's start with that. I mean, that's, let's push every public institution out there that if you are using taxpayers' money to develop software, make it open source. So make it public. That's another avenue that we should keep pushing it. That's indeed one of the actions that we can take. But as far as I know, I think FSFE says that we build for public sector. It consists of 25% of the software industry. So yeah, that's a good portion. And let's start with that. But we should also think about the rest of the economy. So public sector is investing in making their softwares open source. Doesn't mean that we are financing open source initiatives out there. So it's not, they are two different approaches, let's say. Public money, public code is a good slogan. It doesn't always work. There's been instances where parties have promulgated that and then had vendor lock in with open source solutions that weren't great, which does happen at the governmental level. And then mm-hmm. the next party kicks them out. We saw that I think in South Africa, we saw that in Brazil, Munich. So it's something that's, that's a bit tough. In general, I love the theory, but it's the implementation that's really, really hard. Well, and I think that one of the things that I'm seeing as I'm working with more folks in public sector agencies, particularly who are looking to create OSPOs for their government, either at the national level, at the civic level, or the supranational level with inter- like intergovernmental collaboration, there is a lack of folks who are able to do sort of those gluing functions and explain to the folks who are doing the implementation what's in it for me to participate in communities, to contribute my code, to continue to participate despite any changes that may happen in election cycles because this benefits my bottom line as a manager or a head of agency in terms of needing to serve my customers who are citizens. And without that gluing function, I think it's harder because it's great to have money and to raise money. But if you can't get people to tell you what they need to succeed, there's nowhere to spend it. I think there are two parts, all right? The procurement parts. And for the procurement, again, understand. And I think it's one of the famous examples, the Munich, they tried to start using Linux, let's say, in the municipality. But because they tried to change all operating systems to Linux-based applications, it didn't work. So you had to do step-by-step approach, probably. So that procurement part, or let's say, let's find an open source alternative for this application and try to switch it, can be very tricky. I can understand because people are using those applications and you also have to train them. And the cost-benefit ratio in that sense, probably it doesn't work that well. But if you are building an application for government... Say in the Netherlands, we have this ID verification system, DigiID. That's an application that the government is building for their citizens. And that, those 
if you are so if you are asking for a company to build an application a system for yourself then i think there is no excuse to not to do that open source I agree with that. And we have that with, say, the NSF, right? So they have recent requirements that if you're going to have code or data, it's basically got to be open source most of the time, which is really awesome. This is the year of open science in the NSF, which is great. So academics at least are getting on board is what that means. I want to go back to a previous comment of yours where you're talking about we should build a marketplace because it should match the market. Market is a capitalist term. Capitalism works by screwing people lower down the chain and having money go up into higher up the chain. And so when we talk about having a market to make it work, what's wrong with the market that we currently have? You're asking people to pay for stuff that they don't need to pay for right now. So I think I want you to elaborate on what you mean by that. Right now, the market gives us proprietary software, right? Let's say we don't have a good explanation on why it's happening, but the outcome is this. But it's also open source software, right? Like open source software is immediately available right now for free. Everyone who made it has made it available without any issues according to the OSI licenses. So I don't know, I'm just a bit confused by that. In the end, it doesn't mean that it's underproduced or underfinanced. So the long-term goal for us should be to maximize or let's say grow open source ecosystem. So increase the funding in that space. So minimize proprietary software. Because open source falls under the public goods category, if there is no social contract around public goods, it will always be underfinanced. So only if the society will say, okay, until 2030, we are going to start allocating 5% of our software industry resources to open source software. Only then, only if we have a social agreement, then you can start shifting the resources and now tell to the companies, please make your products open source and start generating revenue from these public funds. But without that contract, I think that's the reason that we are keep having these conversations and complaining why open source doesn't have enough money. So only if we can have a social contract, we can start addressing that issue and have a long-term transition from proprietary to open source software. So, I mean, let's keep in mind, of course, the idea is that we should start with 1% open source tax. And we will, let's say, try this for a while, for maybe a couple of years. We have to monitor the system, see the outcome, whether we are happy with the results. But once everything is settled, the idea is to make it 2% now. And then once that is settled, then make it 3% and 4%. So you should increase the size of the funding for open source ecosystem. And then, of course, there should be enough companies on the proprietary side saying that, okay, it doesn't make sense for me to sell this anymore as a proprietary software. So I'm going to build open source version of it and start generating revenue from the public funds. And then you can have a transition like this. Let's say, why are we in a new territory? Maybe we can also touch that part. Is that up until now, let's say up until digital economy, we have a clear separation between private sector was producing private goods and public sector was producing public goods. So private sector had its own competition, etc., its own dynamics. And public sector, we were paying taxes and the government was producing roads and bridges for us. But starting with the digital economy, and again, this is, we are not just talking about software, maybe also good to mention that we are also talking about open hardware, maybe data, maybe content, literature, journalism. So the list can go on, but let's stick to software. But with the digital economy, because the reproduction cost of any content, so let's say copy paste cost of any product is virtually zero, private sector technically started producing public goods. And that's why we are in this weird, confusing state that requires a new type of social contract. And only if we have that social contract, which we have to do it, 
and then we can see less paywalls, paying in advance for the content, etc., and then transition to open and public content, software, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Interesting. So I have a question around how we allocate that money. So we could allocate it directly to dependency stacks. What's the most used project? We could allocate it to products that are the most charismatic, Babel, as opposed to Node.js, Shim, number seven, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like things that are really, really higher up. Not necessarily user applications. For instance, the sovereign tech fund from Germany doesn't take user fronting applications. It only takes things that are further down the stack. I didn't know. Okay. Or they have it on their list of eligibility for how they take on new projects and fund them. But I'm thinking about the argument of we should have the private sector pay. So it's really hard to just tell people you should be taxed. It well, doesn't work very well. And so I'm wondering instead, if we think about security or something, like if you don't tax us, then the ecosystem will fail and you will end up having the bill for trying to fix dependencies that are now broken because those people are gone, which is where a lot of security stuff happens. But then there's a secondary problem where then we just bolster up our security metrics and our ability to copy projects from the past. But we don't necessarily bolster up the ecosystem at large. Do you have any suggestions for how to disseminate the funds to make sure that it doesn't all go towards charismatic or security projects? So maybe just to say it again, that we are trying to imitate the regular software markets, right? In the software markets, you produce a software and then you find your clients and you make a sale. And for each sale, you generate revenue. So there's a product price and then the number of sales. And when you multiply them, you generate your revenue. So our formula, whatever the formula that we are going to build, should be very similar to this. That's why usage metric is crucial. So there can be a lot of open source applications are out there, but if no one is using them, when we collect the usage statistics from the companies, then you should not receive any funding. So that's how I would approach it. Right now, we are focusing on the security aspect, and that can be a good conversation starter. Let's use security as an argument to finance open source, our open source dependencies, our supply chain. My argument is that whatever we do, as long as we don't look at entire markets and if we don't create incentives for any company to join to this market and generate revenue, we will bump into certain limitations. That's how I predict. Of course, we can keep trying it, but open source entrepreneurs will say at some point, okay, but you are still spending way too much money on proprietary software and we are still getting the fraction of it. Our long-term goal to say to the companies, please make your product. I mean, we should align the incentives for software companies to say that they should consider making their products open source. Okay. Now the market incentives aligned. For me, it doesn't matter to keep making pro- proprietary version of this product. I will make it open source. I will ask to my clients to use the open source version of it because of the usage data. I will generate revenue from these public funds. That's how I see it. But this, as we can see, Five years ago, when we were discussing public funds at the Sustain event, we never thought that security will become the hot topic as of today. But that's apparently we have a step in between. Fantastic. Let's use this stepping stone. But my prediction is that this will still not be the permanent solution. The conversation will always push to get more because it will never be possible to draw a line between open source software and proprietary software. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking through questions about allocating funds and creating market incentives around the support and or publication of open source software. And I think one of the things that I've been hitting on in my current explorations of the topic is really the degree to which we are as an industry or as an individual representing industry unclear on the 
ridiculous amount of code that is mission critical to our companies now that is literally being maintained by one person who nobody has ever heard of and no one has any clue how to replace that individual developer if they become unavailable. And I am thrilled at the idea of funding profits that have funding projects that have vanity metrics to go with them or like what you were saying, Richard, about it's security focused or it's some other really shiny thing. But I don't know that until relatively recently, I've been aware of any way to quantify some of those incredibly critical pieces of software that are created by one or two maintainers. And I think when we're thinking about ways that we want to allocate funding, should this wonderful software attacks ever be imposed, the chaos project, which is folks who do metrics on open source projects and their health, are actually working with some folks at Red Hat. I'm just super proud of this because one of my mentees is working on it and she's doing an awesome job. Shout out to Callie Dolphy. To look at health metrics for projects and what Callie has been telling me she's uncovering is the number of wide gaping holes in terms of support that are becoming really obvious as she is doing her health assessments work and looking at like dependency mappings. Before we even start asking questions about how secure these things are, just simply like, what is the support available if the person who's making this is gone? And I wonder if there isn't some way to think about sustainability, not just in terms of, can we get more folks publishing open source software, but can we just get all the folks using open source software to actually be clear on what it is they need to support? Because I think we have very little understanding of what our risk profile actually looks like from an industry perspective that would compel businesses to want to make this tax scheme something that they're excited about or to properly fund the dependencies that they actually have as part of their software stack. Again, as I said, as we couldn't predict that the security part will be so, will dominate the conversations, there might be other stepping stones, let's say, that we should pass through. It's very well possible. I think Tidelift is out there, try to address this issue. Maybe more companies should join to Tidelift for the time being, to address that part. I don't have a good answer on that. As you also mentioned, I think it will always be tricky to scale these systems or if we want to have a long-term balance between these two sides of the coin, we should have a more broader solution, I think. Tidelift isn't a great example. Tidelift basically works by finding a hole in the market where it's hard for companies to pay maintainers, but you can pay easily for support to a broad amount of maintainers. Then some of that money goes to those maintainers, but they don't actually necessarily offer that support themselves. They put the maintainers on the hook for helping out in various ways, but in ways that also may not actually help the companies. It's more of a I'm just going to say, I don't think Tidelift is a good model. I think it's kind of grifty. I just think it's a way of selling to large companies in a way that they can then pay for that makes them look good. That's my opinion on Tidelift. I don't know that I share that exact assessment. The very least, I would like to say... They do pay some, some people, including my friends, who have signed up for contracts. So they're not I'm, horrible. I'm just going to say conceptually, I guess what I'm reacting to, Richard, not because of anything wrong in what you said, just because I am so aware of the fact in my own personality of letting the perfect be the enemy of the good because I, I want it to be very egalitarian and very useful and wonderful for everyone who is involved. But I think it's a great concept. And I think what we need to be doing is looking at more models that we can use that are sustainable, like Open Collective, like Tidelift, like ways where we center the creators of software that are currently not seen, not well understood, not compensated. And I'm preaching to the choir, so I'm going to stop talking now. 
That's okay. I, I was a bit rough and that's fine. That happens too. One of the things I want to get back to is chaos metrics is a really good way of figuring out the level of health for a project, which has to come along with usage. You can't just say usage and then go forth because open source is so many things, right? Like some projects don't need long-term support. They are one line of code. They're really useful. Everyone uses them and that's that. Some projects really need support and they're massive and tough, but it's hard to know that straight out of the gate. So I feel like along with usage metrics, along with community health, you also have to have a a note around governance, around understanding whether these projects want to have money, what they would do with the money, how they're going to do project management in their project. And you also have to have someone who's teaching them how to do that. You have to have some sort of mentorship model or some sort of guides. You have to really handhold some projects, be like, okay, here's $100,000. Here's how you don't waste it. Otherwise, it is just going to be wasted and then the tax is going to be rescinded. So, Sirkan, thoughts on that? I'm trying to convince software companies to produce open source software. So if we are worried about any software company out there that whether they are spending their money wisely or not, it's totally fine. But I wouldn't want to specifically focus on companies that are producing open source software. And probably those companies also wouldn't worry about maybe governance model, making it explicit what kind of governance model you have can be one of the missing pieces in these conversations. So let's work on that. And as I know, let's say you you are going to take an initiative on this. But again, my focus is on the existing software companies that are producing software. So do we worry about them spending their money, let's say? I don't think any of us are wondering that or worried about that. So that's why I'm saying keep the rest of the market dynamics the same. Competition is there. Competition is out there. Competition will take care of a lot of bad apples. They will make a distinction from good apples to bad apples, let's say. If we are worried about software industry in general, let's talk about them. I think when it comes to the open source initiatives, the only missing ingredient is on how to fund it. And once the funding is there, it will be the same as any other company in the market. So I really enjoyed this conversation, by the way. I just, I'm enjoying it by being the devil's advocate all the time. So I apologize <laughs> if I come off that way. I just really like it. Competition does get rid of, say, incompetencies, but it also is brutal and not useful to people who don't already have positions of privilege in order to game the system and know how to use it, which we've already seen with how capitalism works at the moment and how the market works in general. It doesn't help out community strength. It helps out those who are well enough to actually buy things and sell things in in an adequate fashion. So I'm curious how a tax on proprietary software to help out open source communities is going to lead to a more equitable environment for all people building open source software. I'm trying to solve one problem, and that is the transition from proprietary to open source. There might be other issues, social issues that we are worried, but... I wouldn't mix them with open source conversation, let's say. Maybe, yeah, there are social issues that we need to tackle. But I don't care which company wins after we build these public funds. Same companies, same proprietors of their companies might be winning when we start building these public funds. And I don't mind on that. What we should do is to come up with a neutral way, a neutral and open source way, an algorithm that picks winners and losers. And this methods should be very similar how the existing market works. The rest, if there are other social issues that we want to address, like are they ethical or, I don't know, are they treating their employees well? Do they fire people when there is a recession, let's say? There might be a lot of other issues, social issues that is wrong with the market. But the only thing what I think we should do, focus, 
is to maximize freedom in software market and max maximize innovation in the software market. And that can come with open source software, but we have to create or align the incentives for the companies to produce open source software. And for me, the only missing ingredient is the funding aspect. To say it again, if there, there might be best practices that we want to see in the software market. Let's say to all software companies, you should let us know what is your governance model. But in a way, I think legal entities are already a way to tell this, let's say. So yeah, maybe there are things that needs to be done. But again, I'm only focused on one aspect. And that's already a huge burden and problem to tackle, let's say. <laughs> okay, that's fair. And I think my forest for the trees also gets lost in some time. To build a house, you just have to cut down a single tree. So good job. Good luck. So moving on to something else then, you say you're an advocate for this. You've obviously talked about it on this podcast before. You've come to the Sustain stuff. You join on Sustain Discourse. Everyone else should. Hello. But how else do you advocate? Is there a petition site I can join on? Is there a movement that you're working on? Like what's the uh, balls so, to the wall advocacy method? Yeah. So recently what I started doing is to do an experiment about these public funds, how these public funds should work and distribute money to open source ecosystems. So Every month, I started 15 months ago with this experiment. So what I'm doing on the first day of the month, I choose three projects from Open Collectives. There is a tool called Critical Score from OpenSSF. And they built this tool to discover the most critical software open source libraries and applications in our ecosystem. I'm using that tool to calculate a score, Critical Score. And I distribute a certain amount of money to these three projects based on that critical score. So with this experiment, I'm trying to sort of increase awareness about how to use public money to finance the open source ecosystem. And also trying to reach to the open source maintainers, entrepreneurs to say, guys, I'm advocating for this approach. What is your feedback on this? And so, of course, I'm doing all this thing next to my full-time freelance job. Recently, I started working part-time, so I have a little bit more time for open source, which is great. But it's a small action that I'm doing every month, let's say. And I will hopefully continue to this experiment until we have actual public funds in place. <laughs> awesome. Where can people see the fruits of this? Where can people follow along? I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Mastodon. They can find me on these social media platforms. I will share the article for this experiment. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have the link in the show notes, but if anyone is not looking at the show notes, if you just go to dev.2 or the dev2 site and look for open source public fund experiment, you find it immediately. And this is a great write-up with some interesting playbook information as well for people who are thinking through the topic. I see in some notes that in your current state of your experiment, you have 15 rounds and $4,000 to 48 collectives. Is that accurate? Yeah, exactly. So I started 15 months ago. So it's been 15 rounds as with this month. So I distributed almost $4,000 to 48 collectives. So, and I'm going to keep doing it. Again, I choose three collectives every month. I'm spending roughly $100 every month. And whatever the outcome of the critical score, I distributed. And critical score is not perfect, by the way. It's only looking at the statistics from the repositories. Of course, we should be looking at the releases of those applications that, that are junk repositories, let's say, just contains a document of the project, etc. So, of course, ideally, I want to improve this structure to be as accurate as possible. So people should be able to see, okay, if there is an actual public fund, this, these should be the amounts that we would receive, especially, let's say, if we have 1% open source tax. 
So I want to improve this demo along the way, but let's see how it goes. Hopefully I will spend more time in the coming period. I love this. Is there any way that I could do this too? Like, what do I need to do to know the criticality score and to be able to run this on my own? We can look at it together, right? It's super straightforward process. There's also really thorough feedback in the Dev2 article that I mentioned about how to access the criticality score information as well as all the accompanying code to run this metrics assessment. So anyone who wants to follow along and potentially run this experiment themselves, thank you for providing the resource to be able to do that, Sirkan. And also, if anyone decides that they should do that, please let Sirkan know what your results were so that we can add that to the experimental data pile. That would be fantastic. Yeah. If there's any company out there that they want to distribute a certain amount of money to their dependencies like this, yeah, why not? That would be an interesting side effect. I mean, there are. There definitely are. I mean, Chad Whitaker from Century is one of them who's already doing something similar. So yeah, this is great. That's awesome. We are running up on time, unfortunately, even though we have edited a few things. Edited. So given that, you mentioned that you already have your social links where people can follow along. Look for Sarkin Hollat. That's S-E-R-K-E-A-N-H-O-L-A-T. Sarkin, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. Don't leave yet. And don't leave yet, listeners. Now is the time of the show for Spotlight. Spotlight is when we highlight people, places, projects, things, dependencies that have helped us out, been useful in our careers, are not in the future, are not our own projects, and we think should have some more love shed on them. Leslie Hawthorne, traditionally, I always start with the other host. What is yours today? That is lovely. I actually just want to give a shout out to Chaos Computer Club, I returned from one of their events over this past weekend, and it was incredibly valuable to me as a human being to be in dialogue with so many people who are squarely focused on our privacies and freedoms when it comes to technology, but also in terms of the importance of that for creating an inclusive and safe space for people who are undergoing a lot of these or persecution right now. I hadn't been in an event space with that number of folks who self-identify as queer or trans or otherwise members of communities that are facing a lot of hostility, particularly in my home country, the United States right now. And I just wanted to give a shout out to the Chaos Computer Club for providing that kind of environment and also to all of the volunteer organizers of that event for putting something together that was really healing to my soul to see people coming together that way and creating real genuine community that had a social good focus to it, both in that space itself and then in all the days forward from there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Leslie. That's great. My spotlight today is going to be a new group, which I'm just excited to have exist here. It's the Feminist Birding Club, Northern Vermont chapter. The Feminist Birding Club is a nationwide way to get more women birding and get them birding without having other issues because a lot of birding is really man-driven and that kind of sucks at times. So I just really appreciate this. I really appreciate Bridget Butler and Rebecca Waterman and other people who've been fundamental in forming the Feminist Bird Club. It's great if you're in Vermont and you like birding or anywhere else in the States, do check out Feminist Bird Club online. Super, super cool to see more diversity in that space that spends all of its time looking at diversity in the first place. Diversity of birds. Why not more diverse people too? Sirkin, what's yours? When I was thinking about it, I first thing that came to my mind at Open Forum Europe event, one of the Dutch ministers, Alexandra van Huvelen, made an announcement, excited announcement that they are setting up an open source program office at their ministry, which I found very fantastic. So that's going to be my spotlight. And she, it's just a two minutes video, the announcement. And at the end of the video, she says, she talks about the open source spreading in Europe and 
she finishes by saying, simply put, an open source Europe, which was great to hear from her. Love that. So again, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, do tell us. You can email us at podcast at sustainoss.org that goes to all the hosts. We'd be happy to hear your complaints, concerns, queries. Please send them along. Also suggestions for other guests we should have on here. Or if you want to come on, why not send a note yourself? You can also join us on our discourse publicly, discourse at sustainoss.org if you're interested in talking about these sorts of topics. Serkan is a regular poster, which is awesome. Not every one of our guests is. But if you want to come talk to him further, he is ripe for being asked questions of what a horrible sentence. Do check out our discourse. You can also check out more stuff at sustainoss.org, including the show notes at podcast.sustainoss.org. Speaking of the podcast, like this wherever you have heard it. If you could, we would appreciate it. It's really cool. Tell your friends about it. Word of mouth is all we do. I also donate, I guess, to this open collective slash sustainoss. I don't think I've ever said that before, but this is, in fact, you know, we don't run ads. We work entirely off of grant money, but that will eventually run out. So if you want to donate for more podcasts, do do so. And please have your company donate as well. Thank you so much. Shout out to Dwayne O'Brien from Indeed for sending us that last missive. I really appreciate it. That was the best. You can also follow along with our discussions on Twitter at SustainOSS or on a better platform, Mastodon. You can find our links in the show notes. It's the SustainOSS one. I think it's on Hackyderm that Leslie helped set up. Thank you so much, Leslie. And you can find more about Serkin, our guest, who is awesome on the show notes. Serkin, thank you so much. Again, forgot to say thank you in Turkish. How do you say thank you in Turkish? Teşekkürler. Exactly. Also, vielen dank or tak or whatever it was in the Netherlands. Dankuel. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks so much. Teşekkürler. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Thanks so much.